Welcome to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, a view of culture, current events, and politics through a biblical lens, with your hosts, Neil Boron, Bob Duco, Roger Marsh, and John Rush. Now let's join the conversation. Well, as you folks know, this week is the week that the impeachment hearings that the Democrats have been running have gone live, and the American people watching these impeachment hearings. And so... This is obviously something we're going to talk about on the podcast today. Now, we had this discussion about the Ukrainian phone call between President Trump and Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. We talked about that a few weeks ago on a podcast episode. But today we're going to kind of have a revisited update on this whole issue, including the impeachment hearings process that's going on right now. This is an historic time. It's only the fourth time in U.S. history that there have been impeachment hearings. And I've been very open and honest about this. I think this is all one big scam. I think it is a sham. I believe my personal opinion, this is nothing more than Russia collusion 2.0. It's a Democrat's latest attempt at a coup to try to remove a duly elected president. But Far be it from me to offer my opinions. I always enjoy having the guys with us, John Rush, Marshall, Neil Boron. Hey, guys, how are you? Yeah. It'll be a short podcast today as far as that goes. Yeah. But I, we can dig a little deeper, you know. You know, I, it's like we need some kind of a, a Joy Behar in here or Rachel Maddow to try to uh, take the other side of this, but I don't. I don't really know that we can. I, you know, I kind of laid out my take on this. I honestly, genuinely believe that this is a political coup effort on the part of the Democrats. That from the moment Donald Trump was elected, they decided to themselves, we have to get rid of this guy somehow, some way. The very day of the inauguration of President Trump, the Washington Post ran a headline saying. Impeachment starts today. Uh, We have seen this consistently. The lawyer, Mark Zayed, for the so-called whistleblower, he's not a whistleblower, he's a leaker. But this, this lawyer, on the very day that Donald Trump was inaugurated... He uh, sent out a tweet saying that the coup has begun and started talking about the need to remove him and actually started actively advertising, publicly advertising for quote-unquote whistleblowers in an effort to try to get Trump removed. They couldn't do it through Russia collusion. They tried and tried and tried, and what do you know? They came up empty, so then it's like, well, let's keep throwing stuff against the wall. Let's take his personal phone conversations with foreign leaders, and let's see if we can get something in there. And now they have taken this Ukrainian phone call and spun this and blown this up into something that supposedly is impeachable. And I would argue it's not even in the ballpark of impeachable. Donald Trump didn't do anything wrong in that phone call. So we'll unpack this as we go along, but those are some of my immediate overview observations, and I just like to throw it out to the to a table, and any of you guys, I mean, what's your overall thoughts on this thing first? You're, you're, you're spot on, Bob. I mean, I, from, from day one, I mean, including the attorney for the said whistleblower, and I'm like you, I didn't think the guy's a whistleblower. He's a leaker. Uh, right. he, he's a plant. You can call it whatever you want to, but you know, he's got a mission. He's definitely on a political mission to overthrow the, the White House. Or, I, I have no doubt in my mind that's exactly what's happening. To oh. your point, they've been trying to do this from the day that Trump was inaugurated, and they will not stop. Uh, and by the way, everybody listening, 
Uh, even if this impeachment, which I don't think it will be successful in the Senate, I do think the House will impeach. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But this won't be the last one of these, by the way. If he wins re-election in 2020, which I believe he will, you'll be going through another round of this on down the road because they're going to continue this forever until he's no longer president in 2025. Oh, John, I hate to, I, I wish, like anything, you were wrong, but I, I think you're absolutely going to be right. Roger, what's your take on all this? Yeah, I absolutely agree with John and Bob with what you've said in the opening comments. And, and, and understanding, too, I, I, I keep coming back to this just, you know, from my pastoral background as well as for the broadcast side. I understand why the left is coming after the president this way. I mean, first of all, who could have possibly imagined that Donald Trump, of all people, could beat Hillary Clinton in the election? I mean, that, right. you know, there, there are still people who are still so gobsmacked by that instead of saying, wow, what a remarkable system we have. Even a guy like Donald Trump can get elected. The left continues to say, and notice I say the left instead of liberals, because the left have taken over the Democratic Party. I think right. liberals would try to work with this president, would say, hey, now we have a majority in the House. Let's see if we can get a majority in the Senate. And then it's Bill Clinton and Newt Gingrich all over again, potentially, though it would be tougher with a guy like Donald Trump. But the political theater that's going on here, I understand what's driving it. Because you've got this mixed message coming from their leader, Nancy Pelosi, who's saying, you know, today's a solemn day. Today's a prayerful day. I pray for the president. I'm like, who are you praying to? Are you kidding? I mean, I, I, I don't see you praying to the God of the Bible and saying, we think this is the right thing to do. Has Donald Trump said rather aggressive and you know abrasive things on Twitter? Of course he has. That's part of the reason why people liked him, for crying out loud. But what we're seeing here, this, this witch hunt, and, and I'm Unfortunately, I'm agreeing with John, not that I don't love John. I, I think John's great, but I think he's absolutely right. This is the first of many of impeachable, quote-unquote, offenses that we're going to see drugged before us when this one goes completely flat in the water, which it will, invariably. It's just a question of how long this thing's going to Yeah, go it's still going to be in the record books, though, as yeah, yeah. the fourth time that an impeachment yes. you know, took place of a president, even though he won't be removed, but it'll still be in there. It'll still be an embarrassment. It'll still be a stain. It'll still be an asterisk and, and, and Donald Trump's name for history, and I think that's a, a, a real shame, but What's your Neil? What Neil Boron? What's your overall take on what's going on? Well, I'm. I don't have a lot to say that's different from what you guys just said. I agree with most of the stuff you were sharing, but I especially want to jump onto the end of what Roger just said. You know, the idea of the first of many "quote unquote" impeachable offenses, and like I, I'm actually really saddened by the whole process, just because I think this is what politics has become. That it's really just about partisanship. There's almost nothing that people in Congress agree on anymore, except maybe congressional pay raises, you know, or uh, opposition to term limits. Like, right? Is there anything that 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 they actually legislate on anymore? And does anybody ever legislate, or is it really just special hearings and committees and investigations into every last detail of you know the lives of people who represent the opposition? And and I honestly think that it goes both ways. I'm, I may not make any friends saying that, but I, if, if this were still the Obama administration and the GOP had an opportunity to take him down because it was something that looked impeachable, I think they'd be investigating because I think this is what politics in our country has become and I don't see it getting better. So I think, honestly, this is just kind of the foreshadowing of where we're going in the future. I don't think this is going to go away. I don't think it's going to be settled and I think there's more to come, so stay tuned. You know what, though? I, I got to say, uh I'm not saying there's not dirty politics on both sides, but you know something, Neil? For eight years of Barack Obama, there were congressional investigations into Obama, and rightfully so, but not once 
did Republicans try to draw up articles of impeachment? I mean, think about the Fast and Furious scandal that actually involved the death of U.S. Border Patrol agent Brian Terry. Eric Holder, Obama's attorney general, refused a subpoena to testify. As a matter of fact, the Obama administration, they refused witnesses after they were subpoenaed. Uh, he held back, Obama held back over 14,000 documents that were subpoenaed, just ignoring them, refusing to turn them over. Nobody tried to impeach him for obstruction of justice. Nobody tried to do any of that. With the Solyndra scandal, with the IRS scandal of targeting conservatives and conservative groups, with the spying on reporters, including Fox News's James Rosen. I mean, you look at example after example with uh, with Barack Obama telling the then president of Russia, uh, Dmitry Medvedev, hey, you know what, I get, this is my last election, okay? Give me some space on the missile defense policy and I'll have more flexibility after the, the election. Flat out telling him, quid pro quo, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. He's on camera doing this on a hot mic. I mean, this is stuff that was rightfully investigated, but the Republicans did not say that we're going to call this a constitutional level of treason, bribery, and high crimes and misdemeanors. The Republicans did not play the impeachment card with Obama, and they had a lot more evidence than what the Democrats have to try to use on Trump right now. Well, and you're right, and I'm not going to try to argue the point with you because you obviously have a much greater understanding of the background of this whole thing. But what I'm saying is that for the future, now now that the Democrats are pulling the, you know, we need to impeach Trump card because they don't have any other way to get him out of office. And quite frankly, I think that they're afraid he's going to be reelected in 2020, that in the future, uh, because of retribution and what partisan politics have become, where no one agrees on anything anymore, I, I think it's possible we'll see that. I, I'm unwilling to say that the GOP is incapable of doing the same kind of thing if given the opportunity in the future. Yeah. What uh, What do you guys think about this? Uh, do, do, you, do you see this thing kind of spinning both ways? Is this a precedent that's being set where now suddenly impeachment is just going to be used by both sides as a political revenge hammer? John, what sure do you think? Not. I hope not. I, I really, I hope as a country we don't go down that path where that's what we start to do. I, I'm fearful, though, that that we will. In fact, here in Colorado, as a side note, we had a uh, you know, we had th things happen in the last election in 2018 that, you know, the GOP and we as conservatives weren't real happy about. So there were recall efforts that were put into place. We tried to recall our governor. And I'll go on record, even even on air, as, as saying this many, many times on my program that I thought it was futile. It was a waste of time. All it did uh, was basically waste a lot of resources that could have been used to elect really good candidates on the next round, which is what we should have been doing instead of trying to recall the current governor that we have and, and some other senators and representatives that we have as well. And I don't like the fact that even in our state, the GOP is using recall efforts to to change things in elections that, frankly, if we'd have just done our homework and done a better job of winning the election in the first place, we wouldn't be there. I look yep. at the Democrats with this impeachment process in exactly the same way. Once the election is done, you know what? You lost. Suck it up. Move on. Figure out how you're going to win the next election. I do not like the fact that they're using impeachment in this way, and I hope it doesn't go mm -hmm. on in the future. Bob. Right. Uh, you know what? I do, too. we got a lot more to talk about this. We're going to unpack some of the details as well of uh, what's going on, the charges and accusations against President Trump, and are these true, legitimate charges, or are they, pardon the pun, 
trumped-up smokescreen charges. We're going to dive into more of this as we continue on this National Crawford Roundtable podcast right after this short break. Be transformed by the Word of God with Alistair Begg and Truth for Life. Every weekday, Alistair Begg teaches the Bible through in-depth, verse-by-verse attention to the Word of God. You can listen to Truth for Life on your local Crawford Broadcasting Station or listen online at truthfullife.org. Please support this important ministry with your donations at the TruthfulLife.org website or by calling 888-588-7884 and be sure to let them know you heard about Truthful Life from the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Continuing on the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, uh, myself, Bob Duco out of Detroit, John Rush out of Denver, Roger Marsh out of Southern California, Neil Boron out of Buffalo, New York. And so, guys, first of all, let's let's go through some basic predictions here. What do we think is going to happen before we start getting into some of the details of the charges against him? Uh, Neil, what's your best guess? Uh, do you believe that he will, in fact, be impeached, articles of impeachment, will they be drawn up? Will a vote happen? Will he be impeached? And then what will happen in the Senate, do you think? Well, I may sound fatalistic or dramatic in saying this, but I I believe no matter what evidence is presented, he will be impeached, and I think he will not be removed by the U.S. Senate, and I think he will win re-election in 2020. So there you have it. not a lot else to say, but that's honestly what I think is going to happen, which makes all of this really just a drain on our resources and on our dignity as human beings or as American citizens and kind of a, just a circus show. I just right. think, you know, politics has become a circus. I think so, too. We think, Roger. What's going to, how's this going to play out? Yeah, I'm spot on with Neil Lockstep, and I can. And part of the the theater, the theatrical process we talked about this week on the bottom line was the fact that it's no coincidence that the Bill Clinton impeachment got underway on November the nineteenth, nineteen ninety eight. The Donald Trump impeachment is began on November thirteenth, uh, twenty nineteen. November is sweeps month. It still is in the broadcasting world as far as television goes. <laughs> I'm telling you, I realize there are some people who really honestly think, okay, this guy's guilty of sin, and we got to get him out of office. But there are other people in the back. I can see Dustin Hoffman saying, "Wag the dog, here we go." I mean, this is going to be perfect for us because we're going to get some big numbers off of this because all of America is going to watch. Now, the saddest thing about this, I mean, to to Neil's point. I, I don't think as many Americans are going to watch this with breathless anticipation like they would have, say, if it had been Richard Nixon, you know, potentially facing impeachment. Even the Bill Clinton impeachment, where there actually were impeachable articles and impeachable offenses. I mean, the guy lied under oath for crying out loud. I mean, that was high crime and misdemeanor. And even he, after the House voting, you know, to impeach the Senate, wouldn't do it. I mean, they just he, he didn't it, it, it did it. It all just kind of came for naught. On Veterans Day this week, I had uh, Colonel Greg Raths with me. He's a local candidate here in Southern California, former mayor of Mission Viejo, and uh, is a colonel in the Marine Corps. And one of his tours of duty was he was the chief of staff of the White House military office during the second Bill Clinton term. And he said, you know, as a conservative, Republican, God and country type of guy, I was sitting there in the White House thinking even Bill Clinton's impeachment was not good for America. You know, it was not necessarily the, the kind of justice that the people were saying – this is what we need. And he said, you know, I'm sitting here on the other side of the aisle going, no, this isn't really going to help. It's all just theater. And so I'm uh, to Neil's point. It, it is going to be impeachable. I mean, they're, they're going to vote to impeach in the House. They're going to go to the Senate and say we're not going to impeach him. And then I think it's going to blow up. It's going to backfire on the Democrats in, in 2020. Yeah, John, what do you think? And uh, first of all, how do you think this is going to play out? And uh, to Roger's point, 
Will this backfire? I mean, this could go both ways, I suppose. Uh, some are saying that this could hurt the president because now suddenly he has to run for reelection under this cloud, and the Democrat always gets to run and say, "Hey, you really want to reelect a guy who's been impeached?" Uh, so, or is this going to go the other way and blow up in the Democrats' face uh, and, and maybe cause some people to give a sympathy support for President Trump for being smeared? I think I don't think it's going to go in the Democrats' favor. I do think they're going to use it in as many ways as they possibly can in the 2020 election, to your point. Yes, everything you just said, they will come out and say, you know, why would you elect a guy that's been impeached and so on and so forth, although I think that you're going to see a landslide of of Trump supporters, even more so than we saw in 2016, come out and, and be basically take a stand and essentially take a stand and say, you know, we're tired of being tromped on by Washington, D.C. And, and the elite. And, and I think, I, I really truly believe you're going to see more people even come out in 2020 than you did in 2016. I, I believe the voter turnout for the Democrats are also going to be high. In fact, I predict this will be one of the highest voter turnouts we've probably ever had. Well, it will be the highest voter turnout in history. I'm going to predict that right now for 2020 because of all the things that we're talking about. I, I do think the House will impeach him. There will not be an impeachable offense, but it doesn't matter. In the House, it's a kangaroo court system anyways. If anybody doesn't know what we're talking about, you know, we could talk a little bit about that, I guess, Bob, in this podcast. But you can go research that for yourself. This is not real, actual hearings like you would have in a court of law. The, you know, the, the Republicans and, and even the White House cannot you know, call witnesses and they cannot cross-examine witnesses. There's so many things going on here that are not correct in a court of law that when it moves to the Senate those things will become available. And I think if the Democrats aren't careful, this is the thing that I predict and what I see happening, is they will impeach him in the House. It will then move into the Senate, and then everything I just said, the rules will change as far as how things are engaged when it gets to the Senate. And I think there's going to be a lot of things exposed in the Senate that the Democrats are not going to like. In fact, I think it's going to expose a lot of different individuals and people that they are not going to want to see exposed so although they're not looking down the road, even though they are a party that typically does look at the next election cycle, in this particular case, they are so dead set on impeaching President Trump and getting him out of office that they're not looking at the repercussions of their actions. And I do believe they're going to come back and bite him big time. You know, uh, Can I John, just jump in for a second? Yeah. Let me just jump, ask a question, because I, I often think in sports terms, to me, this feels kind of like a Hail Mary, you know, like. You yes. throw the ball up and hope it reaches the end zone and hope somebody catches it. But bottom line is it's probably not going to work, but you've got to try something. Because honestly, if, if what you just described is true, and I think it was an accurate description of what's going to happen when this thing moves to the Senate, the rules are going to change. So my guess, and help me out here, guys, somebody describe what you think about what I'm about, about to say. But really, it's just about trying to sway public opinion to to plant in people's minds that this guy, first of all, we don't like him because he's kind of brash and he uses Twitter and, you know, he's, he's not a respectable president, blah, blah, blah. He should have never been elected and all the things they've said about him all along. But now they're going to say, see, uh, he's p- potentially even criminal in his behavior and therefore he's completely unelectable. I think all of that will be overturned and reversed when it gets to the Senate and there's, they're able to call, you know, uh, cross-examine witnesses and stuff like that. But Honestly, it just feels like a Hail Mary. Hey, we got to try something because nothing else has worked. You know, it's, the, the question is even going to be, will there be Senate hearings even in the first place? Because Lindsey Graham has already said, if we're not able to call the, the whistleblower, if President Trump and his supporters aren't even allowed to face 
his accuser, then this thing is dead in the Senate. And I I think that there is a possibility that there could be uh, introduced language in the Senate to even dismiss this without a trial. But you have some other senators say, no, then we'll get accused of trying to cover this up. And so let's go ahead and play it out. We have control. So my best guess is there will be a debate about that. Uh, about possibly dismissing, but that they'll go ahead and hold a trial in the Senate with the Republicans in control of this. And so, therefore, you're not going to be able to have any Adam Schiff's to deny or veto any witnesses that are being called. And consequently, I can see the Senate deciding we are going to call the whistleblower, uh, the leaker. We are going to bring them forward. We are going to bring forward Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and maybe Barack Obama to testify as well. Uh, and so let's let's go full bear on this. Let's let the American public see what the Democrats have been trying to hide. Uh, and Neil, to your point, I do believe that this is a a show to a certain extent for the American people. This is about who does the best job of presenting talking points to the American public in a way that they can understand it. One of my big concerns is that the Democrats tend to be, on average, way better communicators than Republicans are. And so the Democrats presenting their case in a way that sells the American public that Donald Trump has done something criminal and horrible, and then the Republicans get caught up into a bunch of lawyerese kind of language and minutia and details that don't really communicate it effectively to the public. So if the Republicans can learn to speak in very simple soundbite, bullet point, bumper sticker, common phrases that the American public understands, then I think they come out on this thing uh, ahead. And I know, Neil, we got to take a break in uh, just, a, just a minute here. But it yeah. seems to me that that's, that's what this is really going to boil down to as far as the public show aspect of this. Yeah. And to reiterate what I said before, I, it's my opinion, but I personally don't believe that it doesn't really matter what's presented I think that the the House is going to want to vote for uh, articles of impeachment, that, that they're going to move forward with this regardless of what's presented because they basically have nothing to go on right now. And I know we can talk about that in just a moment. But we're up against the break. So let's hang on. We're talking about a really important issue. It involves the potential impeachment of the president. Uh, but we'll break for just a moment and continue with more of the National Crawford Roundtable right after this. Learn how to walk the narrow path with Steve Gray. With over 40 years of studying the Bible, Steve Gregg is passionate about teaching you how to apply scriptural wisdom to every aspect of your life. Listen to The Narrow Path on your local Crawford Broadcasting Station or online at thenarrowpath.com. The Narrow Path is 100% listener supported. Please keep this vital ministry going with your generous financial support and let them know you heard about The Narrow Path on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. You're listening to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. My name is Neil Boron uh, out of Buffalo, New York. Bob Duco in Detroit, Michigan is with us as well. Roger Marsh in Southern California and uh, our good friend John Rush in Denver, Colorado. Uh, we've been talking about this whole thing revolving around the, um, the potential impeachment of the president and the hearings that are going on in Washington. And, you know, one question, guys, I have that I just kind of want to throw out there. And this came up the last time we talked about this and the whole, you know, when, when the whole Ukraine issue first hit the news was the idea of, of what transpired during that phone call. And I raised a question at that time that I don't think was ever officially answered, but it had to do with whether or not the transcript that was provided was the actual document. Now, a couple things real quick, and then you guys can react if you don't mind. I'd love to hear your responses. 
but I, I questioned that because I was I read several reports that said it was basically a rough draft of the conversation. It didn't include every nuance of what was said, so that there was this idea looming out there that maybe there was uh, a, a smoking gun transcript that really had some kind of solid quid pro quo in it. Nothing like that has emerged unless they're talking about it behind closed doors with what's going on with Adam Schiff right now and all the secret hearings and everything. But, you know, nothing as far as I know has officially emerged on that. But, but an even bigger question in my mind is, would the president of the United States, with a hundred some odd people listening to the phone call, put himself in some kind of a, a, a situation where he could be accused of criminal behavior, knowing that everything he's saying is being recorded, that this is incredibly public? It doesn't, nothing about that even makes sense. So the idea mm-hmm. that he officially did something illegal is preposterous to me. But right. anyway. Well, well, and and, and real ahead. quick, and, and just as a side note, and, I, and something I think we should, should talk about, maybe have to do this in the second half of the podcast, Bob, but even if there was a quid pro quo, and if you read the entire document, which I'd encourage everybody out there listening, please Google it, go read this thing for yourself. It's a half an hour phone call that you literally can read in about five minutes because you can, you can read faster than what you can talk. So the reality is read the thing in five to seven minutes. And if you have to reread the section that they're actually referring to where he basically you know, said, would you please look into what's going on with Joe Biden and his son, which is really all he said. There was nothing there that said, if you don't, I'm going to withhold funding for your military and things along those lines. They had a very congenial conversation going back and forth. And so, Neil, to your point, even if there were things that aren't in this transcript, which, by the way, if you would read the transcript, anybody out there, you could see that this is a pretty much a full conversation. If there was anything that went on after this, it would have had to have been a completely separate conversation because anybody that can read a document can read and say, wait a minute, they skipped from one topic to another. That's not the way this document is. It flows completely through their entire conversation, and I just don't see that there's another document out there that's got any kind of a, a phone transcript on it, because I believe this is it in its entirety, and there's nothing in there that he said that was wrong and or impeachable. Well, and let me address the transcript issue, and, and to Neil's point as well. One of the talking points from the left is, oh, this is just a summary. This isn't really the transcript, and so therefore, what other information is out there? The, the implication is that Donald Trump really said some bad stuff like, hey, by the way, I want a quid pro quo with you. And unless you dig up some dirt on Joe Biden, I'm not going to send aid to you. You're going to be out $391 million in military aid. And, oh, those lines somehow are left out of the transcript because this is just a summary. That's the perception that they're trying to create on the left. Here's why that is so dishonest. Uh, The transcript is not a transcript that was transcribed electronically from the phone call itself. The phone call wasn't recorded. The way that this works is they have multiple stenographers, just like in a courtroom. When you have a courtroom, when people are speaking in the court, you don't have it being audio recorded and then electronically converted into words at that moment. You have physical human beings, a stenographer sitting there who is typing out the words that they are hearing being spoken. In these kinds of calls with foreign governments, you have multiple stenographers who do that very thing. When they are finished, 
Then they reconcile those so that if one person missed a line here or missed a line there, they reconcile between the two to come up with one final version. And that's referred to as a summary, but it's a summary from actual stenographers. And then the intelligence officials listening to the phone call review the transcript of the stenographers to make sure that there's nothing in there that they noticed was omitted or incorrect or whatever. So the best case scenario for the Democrats is that maybe there was a pause or a sneeze or a cough or one word here or there that neither stenographer picked up. But there's no way in the world, if anybody's intellectually honest, that you can believe that Donald Trump was saying a bunch of crazy, wild, nefarious quid pro quo stuff and neither stenographer picked it up or acknowledged it at all. That's just not logical. That's what the Democrats are trying to plant as a suspicion in people's minds. And it's just, it's flat out dishonest, quite frankly. So, uh, but let's do this because I know we're coming up on the bottom of the hour. And what we're going to do in the second half of this podcast is we're going to start getting into some of the details of the evidence. Was there in fact a quid pro quo? Is it accurate to say there was? And by the way, even if there was, and there's no evidence for it, even if there was, Would that actually be considered wrong? Would that actually be impeachable? And what are the arguments and evidence against this president and all of this? So we're going to start unpacking the evidence as we continue this National Crawford Roundtable podcast for the second half of this discussion. You can listen to it by getting it at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. You can also find it online at CrawfordBroadcasting.com. Continuing the second half of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast with myself, Bob Duco out of Detroit, John Rush, Rush to Reason out of Denver, Roger Marsh, the bottom line out of Southern California, Neil Boron, Neil Boron Live out of Buffalo, New York. Okay, so gentlemen, let's get to some of the actual details of what the charges are against President Trump. And I suppose we start with the issue of quid pro quo. Uh, the claim being that President Trump was telling the Ukrainian government, you need to investigate Joe Biden, my political opponent. If you don't investigate Joe Biden, I'm not going to give you nearly $400 million in military aid, hence the quid pro quo. This is what the Democrats are hanging their hat on. And John Rush, let me start with you. Unless I'm missing something, I'm seeing no evidence to back this up, no evidence in the phone call that he had with Zelensky, no evidence from any of the people that have testified behind closed doors or even so far now in the public hearings. No, and Bob, you're, you're 100% correct. It's, it's not there. Again, I read the transcript again this morning before we got on this podcast just to make sure that I'd refresh my memory because it had been almost a month and a half since I'd read it in the first place, and you're exactly right. Now, I'm going to say something else that a lot of people out there listening, even Christians, may not like. Here's the reality. Even if he had done a quid pro quo, there's nothing wrong with that. It is his job as President of the United States to make sure that we as a country have fair elections, that nobody interferes in them, and that we have national security above reproach. He is it's well within his right to go to another country's leader and say, hey, you got some problems going on inside of your country. And you know what? You need to step up and make sure things are handled correctly. Or guess what? We may not be able to offer you the aid and the help that we've done in the past because your country's all screwed up. Right. And that is such an important point, Roger, to John's point. Uh, there's no evidence of a quid pro quo. But even if there was, even if Donald Trump had done that, I want a president to say to a foreign government, 
hey, look, I'm not going to give you $400 million in U.S. taxpayer money if you guys are still engaging in corruption. So you meddled in our 2016 elections. Uh, You have a new government now. You guys need to be investigating that. We need to be confident that we're not throwing good money after bad and giving money to people that are still engaged in corrupt acts. Whether it's that, whether it's the Burisma holdings and the firing of the prosecutor and whatever, we need to know we're giving money to clean people that we can trust that are not going to be using it for corrupt purposes. Why in the world would we not, Roger, want a president to demand that of a foreign government? And Trump didn't even do that. Yeah, right. Yeah, if he had done that, then we would say, yay, here, here. The fact that he didn't do that, or at least we don't have any transcriptural evidence that he did, excellent point, Bob. You know, the thing that is, is so fascinating to me about all this, too, is the Democrats over in the corner clutching their pearls. They're so concerned that Donald Trump might have done something like this, like Barack Obama didn't do it, like George W. Bush didn't do it, like Bill Clinton, right. George H.W., Ron, I mean, that because American presidents did that kind of thing because we are the superpower. I mean, the Cold War is over because of what Reagan the, the fact that we are the ones that everyone looks to as the world's police on 9-11, the fact that there was an attack on U.S. soil and the world rally around said, we got to keep that thing from happening again. But what we're seeing in this one, this is Russian collusion 2.0. They're using the same tactic that they did before. And this is the thing that I find just so fascinating. Uh, William Taylor, the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, in his testimony, the closed door thing, some of the transcripts have been leaked. And what he said initially was, hey, look, Yes, Donald Trump did want to withhold military aid to Ukraine. But as far as what happened in the phone call, well, I don't know. I wasn't there. So because he wanted to, he also wanted to shut down the Russian collusion thing. And his top advisor said, you can't do that. That's illegal. Just because he wanted to do it doesn't mean that that's an impeachable offense. And the fact that we're talking about even if there was quid pro quo in this, or I should say more grammatically correct, even if there were, because there wasn't, um, the fact that he, if he did quid pro quo, it doesn't really matter. That's not impeachable. The fact that he wanted to, that's not impeachable either. So once again, we're back to the whole, well, we couldn't get him on Russia. We couldn't get him to resign. We couldn't get him on the illegal, you know, uh, immigration issues at the airport protests and all that stuff. This is the deal's point. This is, this is a Democrat Hail Mary. And I, I quite frankly, I, unless they have a Franco Harris immaculate reception type. <laughs> 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 That was a great catch, though. I mean, that, that, that was an iconic catch. Excuse me, unless you were a Raiders fan at the time. Oh, yeah. well, yeah, okay, well, that is true. That is true. Never mind. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk later. But can I jump in for just Please. a second? Because I, I had read something. The House Judiciary Committee ranking member, Doug Collins, who's a Republican out of Georgia, claimed that uh, the Democrats who are leading you know, the Trump impeachment inquiry, uh, Adam Schiff and the others, have really actually have nothing on the commander-in-chief. And... He said, and I quote, um, they're hiding the fact to everybody that that when it's all said and done, there really was nothing improper on the phone call. That President Zelensky and President Trump both said there was no pressure on either ends of this. And then he went on to say um, that apparently, in his opinion, Trump was acting responsibly, which is basically what you said, Bob. Mm-hmm. The idea that, you know... That, that he was protecting American taxpayer dollars and has every right to say, hey, is there still corruption going on in your country? Can you look into that for me? Because we're giving you a lot of money here and we want to know. But I think, don't you think the sticking point would be that somebody would argue, yeah, but it wasn't just to benefit the United States. It was to benefit your reelection by finding some dirt on Joe Biden. And that in itself would be what they're hanging their hat on. However, what politician 
given the opportunity to find out salacious you know, information about a potential political opponent in the next election, wouldn't take that opportunity. When you just look at the television and all the negative mm-hmm. political ads that are being run, I think politicians are always looking for dirt on others. So if, if Donald Trump had a, an ulterior motive to say, yeah, I want to protect the American people, but I also would like to help my own campaign, I'd... I, I don't. Somebody might say, "Well, that's immoral, or that's unethical, or something like that." But is it illegal? Is it impeachable? I doubt it. Well, and, and you know what? Let's explore that, Neil. Let's explore that honestly. Okay, what about the fact that by Donald Trump wanting Ukraine to investigate Burisma Holdings, that that happens to benefit him politically because it could be damaging to his political opponent? Uh, mm-hmm. Does that mean is the new standard in America that we can never expect? a foreign government to investigate corruption if part of that corruption happens to implicate your political opponent. Right? If that's the case, then what you're basically saying is Joe Biden or anyone else can engage in any kind of corrupt behavior uh, and, and get a pass, get an automatic pass, because as long as you're a U.S. politician, that therefore means sure. that you can't be held accountable. Th- that cannot be the standard. And, and if I can rattle through just a few quick examples of this. And this is what drives me crazy about this whole claim. Yeah, but he was seeking dirt on his political opponent from a foreign government. And if you say that in an ominous tone, you can convince millions of Americans (laughs) that there's something bad about that. But let me just remind everybody, this is normal. Opposition research has involved foreign governments all the time on a regular basis, and it was never considered illegal, let alone impeachable. All right. Hillary Clinton and the DNC paid $10 million in campaign finance money for dirt on Donald Trump from the Russians funneled through this Fusion GPS organization. Uh, this is what th- this was foreign dirt on her political opponent, and they actually paid $10 million for it. The Obama administration actively sought dirt from the Ukrainian government on Donald Trump during the 2016 election. This is all public information that anybody can look up. The Democratic Party in 2016, the DNC, hired Alexandra Chalupa to travel to Ukraine to specifically try to get dirt on the Trump campaign, Paul Manafort and Donald Trump, possibly from Russia, in their intelligence files. Three Democratic senators, Robert Menendez, Patrick Leahy, and Dick Durbin, all three of them in May of 2018 sent a letter to the Ukrainian government telling them, we need you to supply dirt on Donald Trump for the Robert Mueller investigation and implied you guys might lose financial support from the Democratic Party if you don't cooperate and provide information. Uh, Donald Trump didn't do any of that. And by the way, the Mueller investigation involved getting dirt on Donald Trump from 13 different foreign governments, including the Ukrainian government. And nobody on the left and nobody on MSNBC said boo about the idea of, wait a minute, are we seeking dirt on political opponents from foreign governments? Opposition research is commonly done involving foreign governments. Donald Trump didn't even say to Ukraine, I want dirt on my political opponent. He merely said, hey, in all the investigations that you're doing, the Burisma holding Joe Biden thing is one of them you should be looking into, too. So it just it drives me crazy that people perceive this as some kind of untoward thing that Donald Trump supposedly did when it's normal operating procedure until somebody named Donald Trump does it. 
Well, but can I jump in and just say yes. what you just described is fascinating, but that that's the information that the American people really need and don't fully understand because right. they're listening to what the media is telling them about what's happening in Washington, D.C., and none of that ever gets brought up. I know, and it's it's really problematic. And so, John, let me throw this over to you, though. Isn't this a case where uh, where something is considered normal and non-controversial until Donald Trump does it, and then suddenly – it becomes controversial and then elevated to scandalous, then elevated to illegal, then elevated to treasonous, then elevated to impeachable. Yeah, and, and we can go down the list of things that the left has wanted to use as, as an example of what you just said, Bob. I mean, we can, we can talk about uh, everything from, you know, the Mueller investigation, you know, on down the line. And, and you're exactly right. I mean, even, even tweeting. I mean, I mean I'll, I'll go as far as to say that if Barack Obama we're tweeting on a daily basis like President Trump is, it would be a horse of a different color with the Republicans and the Obama supporters that are out there. And I mean that sincerely. I do believe that those people would, would condone it, not condemn it like they do with Trump. Uh, you know, does Trump say some things at times that aren't politically correct? Absolutely. In fact, I think that's why a lot of individuals out there like the guy so much is because he's not a politician. He's not worried about what everybody else thinks. He's actually, for once, speaking the mind of the individuals out there that actually voted for him. And I think the other thing as Christians we have to remember, and this is something that, that I know I remind my listeners of all the time, you know, the President of the United States works for me. He's not God. He's not a minister. He's not a pastor. He's not a priest. He's the executive of the United States of America that we hired to get a job done. And we as citizens actually hired him to do said job. He works for us. Now, a lot of people don't look at it that way, and they feel like they're, they're basically, I think at times, I think even some Christians believe we're, we're electing somebody of a much higher power than what I just said. But the reality is we elected him to run the country and do the things that we want done to be progressive and to get where we want to go. The things that you have to look at that President Trump has actually accomplished, deregulation, getting the economy rocking and rolling, handling this China thing like no one before him ever could have handled to the point where they have finally, and the Chinese don't like to lose face, but right now they are losing face over this tariff war, and the reality is we're going to win and they're going to lose, and that's never happened in the history of the relations between us and China. The things that he's doing, which by the way, a lot of what I'm talking about, the left and the Democrats absolutely hate because they want globalization. They want a world, one world economy. They, they want the entire world basically ruled by one individual. So they want all of that to happen. And Donald Trump is their main enemy because he's destroying all of that. So true. Uh, Roger, let me throw this over to you and give you a chance to respond. And we've got to go into a break too soon. Yeah, you know, I resonate with everything John said, and I think that the the next the question for us, because all of us coming from a very conservative standpoint and watching what's happening and realizing, to John's point about tweeting and everything, if you look at the tweets that come out of the former president's Twitter account and his wife, they show them holding children, holding up marriage as this wonderful thing, and yet you remember during the eight years that he was in office, this was the most anti-life, anti-marriage, anti-family president you ever saw. So the idea that someone would be so horrified by Donald Trump's tweets and then if you don't look at his record and say, well, this is the most pro-life president we've ever seen in our lifetime. So, you know, the Twitter world is one world and it creates kind of this illusion and the left really wants to believe what they want to believe. Uh, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and, and talk more about, I think, the political will of the Republicans. You know, what, what kind of defense is going to be put up against this uh, impeachment? And uh, the question I think we're all kind of wanting to know, too, is this, in fact, a coup? 
I, I think we would have some interesting thoughts about that too. Along with Neil Boron, Bob Duco, and John Rush, I'm Roger Marsh, and you're listening to the National Crawford Roundtable. Dr. Michael Youssef leads the way for people living in spiritual darkness to discover the light of Jesus Christ. This tremendous outreach begins with the proclamation of God's Word through the uncompromising biblical teaching of Dr. Michael Youssef. Leading the Way is here to equip and strengthen the church to stand strong and to advance the gospel in today's ever-changing world. Listen to Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef at ltw.org slash listen, and be sure to mention you heard about their program on the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Back on the National Crawford Roundtable, and we're talking about all things impeachment here on the program. And uh, Bob, I want to kick this back to you because uh, you're a wealth of knowledge on this. Um, Do you think... We've kind of kicked this around a little bit, but do you think that the Republicans really have the will to stand up to what's happening in the House, what will eventually come to the Senate? I mean, I realize there's some timing issues in terms of the election. And, you know, is it possible that the House throws this into impeachment mode to the Senate? And now the Senate's looking at re-election in 2020 going, what do we do with this? What's your take on that? You know, it's a very good question. And actually, before I address that, there's one thing I want to say about what we were talking about tweeting before and President Trump and those who complain about his tweets. And the truth is, if Barack Obama tweeted the way that Donald Trump does, everybody would be saying, oh, look at how modern and hip and engaged he is and social media savvy and everything else. Uh, Are Donald Trump's tweets sometimes too blunt and harsh and rough around the edges? Yes, of course they are. But for all the people who say somebody needs to take away his Twitter account, think about how absurd this is. Any president communicates to the American public through some kind of medium, all right? Uh, Anything that Trump says on a Twitter feed, if he didn't have Twitter, if it didn't exist, he would say it in a press release that would be sent out. He would say it off the cuff to a reporter standing outside the White House or as as he's heading toward the helicopter. He would say it during a press conference. He would say it during an interview. So if he says rough around the edges thing in an interview, are people gonna go, They need to stop letting him do interviews. Are they going to say, he needs to stop talking to reporters? He needs to stop going on TV shows? He needs to to stop putting out press releases? Uh, No. Anything he says on Twitter, he would say it through a different means uh, directly to a reporter if there was no such thing as Twitter. So this is nothing more than him being able to communicate his message in a way that the mainstream media can't edit it. Now, to your question, Roger, about... uh, about the Republicans, do they have the will? You know, I'll level with you. I'm not terribly confident in the Republicans on average. They they tend to uh, be, for my taste, a little weak need, a little spineless, and they don't fight and counterpunch the way that the Democrats do. Democrats are like a kicked hornet's nest. If you met nest, if you kick them, uh, they will swarm you like crazy, and they all know how to stick together no matter what. Uh, Notice, you don't have any Democrats right now, Democrat pundits going on TV and saying, you know, this really is kind of a witch hunt. It's really not right for them to be doing this against the president of the United States. You don't have that kind of stuff. But you do have those moderate establishment Republicans who are repeatedly going, well, I was kind of concerned and troubled by his phone call with Ukraine. And, you know, this president is – so – Republicans don't stick together the way Democrats do. Republicans don't counterpunch the way Democrats do. That's why the left 
hates Donald Trump so much because this is one area of Democrat DNA Donald Trump has in him. He is a kicked hornet's nest when you mess with him. Uh, so he fights back the way Republicans should. With that said, I don't think it's all Republicans. You do have about a dozen or so Republicans in the House and Senate that have been willing to stick their necks out and fight forcibly for this president. Lindsey Graham certainly is one of them, Matt Goetz and others, Mark Meadows. But for the most part, 90, 95 percent of Republicans uh, sit by cowardly on the bench, letting other people do the fighting for President Trump. And when it comes down to a vote, well, okay, I'll vote the right way. But I'm not going to stick my neck out verbally. And in my honest opinion, there shouldn't be 10 Republicans out there fighting for the president. There ought to be 200 of them out there uh, fighting in a strong voice. So that to me is a frustration with the Republicans. But my best guess is they will all in the House, all of the Republicans will vote against the articles of impeachment. That's my best guess. They will pass because Democrats control the House And then over in the Senate, my best guess is Republicans will cave and allow a trial to go forward, but uh, he will be be acquitted in the Senate and then we'll just move on after that. So my, my best guess, that's what happens over the course of the next six to eight weeks and then we're full scale into the 2020 campaign. So, John, I don't know. What do you think, John? No. Well said. And real quick, guys, we need to take a quick break. Let's do that. This is the National Crawford Roundtable. We'll be right back. Dr. James Dobson left a successful career in academia to preserve and promote the biblical family in America. The radio broadcasting ministry of Dr. Dobson spans over four decades, earning him 17 honorary doctorate degrees and an induction into the National Radio Hall of Fame. Today, Dr. Dobson continues to champion marriage and parenthood through Family Talk. Listen every weekday at drjamesdobson.org. And be sure to reference the National Crawford Roundtable podcast when asked how you listen to Family Talk. All right, everyone, you're listening to the National Crawford Roundtable. Myself, Bob Duco, Roger, uh, Roger Boron, and Neil. Uh, gosh, I can't Roger talk. Roger Marsh. Roger, Roger Marsh. Like Neil Boron, Roger Marsh. Jeez, I'll get it right here, guys. I apologize. Um, and, and to your point, Bob, uh, you know we do need more Republicans standing the ground in support of President Trump through this. Now, I will also say this. I don't know that he's a guy that needs a lot of support. He seems to do very well just on his own, has really thick skin, and and frankly does what he needs to do to fight for us on a daily basis. Again, why I believe he's going to be very successful in a 2020 campaign, because the American public are actually looking at this. The one thing I think Republicans have to be really careful of in what's going on right now, and if I had any advice to any of them, it would be this. You better stand behind your president right now, because if you don't, it may cost you your seat in the next election. Because people out there that are watching all of this and watching the guys that are on his side versus the guys that are not or the gals that are not, I really do feel guys could affect them in the next election. Because I'm here to tell you, I talk to people on a daily basis. My program, you know, unlike you guys, is a little bit is, you know, we have a lot more, you know, liberal listeners and, and folks that are not of the faith. And I talk to a lot of people on a daily basis. And here's what's really interesting, guys. I continually ask the left to call in and give me the reasons why there should be impeachment and what has he done wrong and what are the impeachable offenses. And I yet to this day have had anybody call in from the left and give us a good, sound you know, argument as to why there should actually be impeachment. In fact, it's been crickets. They have not called in for anything. And the reality in that, to me, if you ask me, is the reality is 
They know there's nothing there. This is nothing but a bunch of semantics. But I go back to what I said a moment ago. If the Republicans that are going to be running for office in 2020, 2022, 2024 are not careful, they're going to wind up finding themselves out of a job or out of a seat, if they, if, if you would, for not standing by the president. Now, that's such a great point. And the fact is that the, it's the left that has to explain and justify how they can be doing this. You cannot change the rules of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And this goes back to the point that I was making about earlier about what the Democrats do, okay? It, is it ex- Why is it acceptable that Joe Biden can brag openly on camera mm-hmm. that when he was vice president that he did a quid pro quo with – with the Ukrainian government that he told them, I am going to withhold $1 billion in aid from you unless you fire that prosecutor. I'm leaving here in six hours. If that prosecutor is not fired, you're not getting the money. And that prosecutor happened to be investigating Burisma Holdings, the energy company that was paying millions of dollars, $50,000 a month, and millions of additional dollars to Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son. And Joe Biden demands that that prosecutor be fired. Now, you can argue, well, that's because we think he was a corrupt prosecutor and some countries in Europe uh, thought he should be fired too. Okay, fine. But it still financially benefits his son, Hunter Biden, who had no business being on that board. All right. I mean, the guy had no experience in oil, in gas, in energy. Ukraine didn't speak the language, yet he's getting all of that money to him right after he happened to fly to Ukraine on Air Force Two with his dad, the vice president. So if there's a legitimate reason for saying that that prosecutor should be fired, okay, fine. But if there's a separate reason that it happens to benefit Joe Biden's son financially, does that mean that it should be undone? And the very same principle applies with Donald Trump in investigating Burisma. Is it a good, legitimate thing to make sure that we're not giving money to a corrupt government? Of course it is. But what if it also happens to help him politically. Does that mean it's now not a worthwhile investigation? You can't say this stuff is okay for Democrats to do and then impeachable for Republicans to do. It's the double standard that the American public, I'm hoping, sees through the process of these open hearings. And Bob, th- I, really, I really think they do see it. I do think the American public sees this. I, I, maybe not all. There, there are going to be those hardcore lefties that no matter what happens, they're going to be in that camp. And frankly, uh, even as a conservative, while I love them, love their soul, you know, we need to do everything we possibly can to win them over. The reality is on the political side of the fence, there are those individuals out there that are just not going to, to change their stripes. It is what it is. You accept it and, and you move on. But, but at the end of the day, you're exactly right. You know, this is a witch hunt. It's, it's a coup. They're trying to overthrow the presidency. Uh, and and I, I think we need to remind everybody of this. And I think it's important for Christians, likewise, guys, to remember this. The left... It is their number one goal, and I firmly believe this, to destroy the country, to make you dependent upon them. They want to get to the point to where only they, as the ruling class, rule over you, and the rest of us are subjects, not citizens. And that is exactly, if you go, you know, go read the rules for radicals or anything along those lines, and it is the playbook, and everything that's happening right now fits into their playbook and what they want to do to the country, which frankly is to destroy it and not let you have the freedoms that you have today. Right. That's an excellent point. You know what uh, occurs to me as well, and I see so much of this in the in the hearings that are going in now, is that 
Democrats – and I said this before – Democrats doing things that are considered perfectly normal and then as soon as Donald Trump does it, then suddenly it becomes impeachable. And one of the things the Democrats are really good at is taking something that is not bad and spinning it in a way to make it look like it's bad. And I just – I want to throw out just a, a quick example to you guys. It's something I was actually talking about on my show uh, a couple of weeks ago. And it sounds silly. It sounds absurd. But but bear with me here a moment. Uh, I, I could see, you know, President Trump recently, you may not know this, but he had one of the rooms in the White House remodeled to create a large room-sized golf simulator. And it cost about $50,000 to do right. that. Now, right. uh, the, the Democrats and the media haven't seized on this. Okay, fine. But this to me is a perfect example of what their MO is. If they were to seize on this, they could claim that, oh, this is so wrong. Here is uh, Donald Trump. He's doing construction on the White House, the People's House, treating it like it's his own Trump Tower, adding his own big, expensive indoor golf simulator, forgetting that this isn't his house. It belongs to the American people. He's only using it temporarily. How arrogant, how conceited. We need congressional investigations into what contractors were used to do this work. How much will it cost the next president to have it removed? Has he allowed any foreign leaders to use this simulator? And what is a whistleblower's sworn affidavit that Trump knowingly made this decision without consenting Congress, and Trump even admitted to reporters on Twitter that he did this, he needs to be impeached. Now, I guarantee you, if the Democrats and the media went forward with a meme like that, you would have at least several million Americans who would go, wow, wait a minute, maybe this president really is corrupt. Never mind the fact he paid that $50,000 out of his own pocket. Never mind the fact— And there was already one there. Yeah, there was already one there. It was Barack Obama's. Donald Trump, he he merely expanded Barack Obama. It was already— Made it better. Yeah, but every single president, Barack Obama, spent taxpayer money to have a basketball court built, an indoor golf driving range simulator created. Bill Clinton spent millions of dollars of taxpayer money to have a jogging track installed, a bigger and better putting green, a spa, Gerald Ford, an outdoor pool, uh, Richard Nixon, a bowling alley and a game room, Eisenhower, a putting green, FDR, an indoor swimming pool and movie theater, Teddy Roosevelt, a tennis court. We can go on down the line. All presidents do this, but again, that's the other side of the story that the media doesn't report. And if you only present one side, you can make anything normal look like it's nefarious. And that's what they're doing with Donald Trump, his phone call with Ukraine. They're taking something normal, making it look nefarious by only giving bits and pieces. And unfortunately, you have millions of Americans who aren't political junkies like we are that only go by what CNN tells them is actually scandalous. And that, to me, is the dishonesty of what the Democrats are doing with these impeachment hearings. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. The mobilization of the Democrat Party right now, and we saw this happen in Southern California in the 2018 election, is it's a rallying cry. It's we've got to get, you know, the red party is bad. The orange man's bad, all that stuff. And they do mobilize better than Republicans do. No question about it. And it's amazing because when you don't have to rally around real hard, specific facts, you just rally around the idea. This guy's bad. We got to get rid of him. These people are bad. You got to get rid of them. We need more of us. Once us gets in there, Bob, to your point, it's ironic that this is the party who keeps calling Donald Trump a fascist that wants a government <laughs> takeover, basically, of our constitutional republic. It's, it really is mind-boggling, but you're right. It's okay for me, but not for thee. And well, that's just, I, I, can I just ask a real quick question? Yeah. 
do you guys expect, <clears throat> no matter what happens during you know the House proceedings, that it will be dead on arrival in the Senate and they're not going to pay any attention because they don't believe that a crime was really committed? Or do you think it will reach actual trial in the Senate where there's cross-examination? Would there be political advantage to cross-examining the witnesses for the sake of the other side of the story coming out? You know, I, I could be proven wrong, but I'm going to guess that it will end up going to a trial even though there will be a debate. You'll have some senators like Lindsey Graham and others who will say, no, we should dismiss this out of hand, forget it. This was not a fair process in the House and just dismiss it. But I think you're going to have Mitch McConnell and some others who will say, no, because this will politically hurt us because we're giving a talking point to the Democrats and to the mainstream media to say the Republicans control the Senate and they swept this under the rug. They refused to even have a trial on this and they're clearly trying to hide something and blah, blah, blah. Why give them that talking point? Let's go ahead, have it out here in the open. We think we can help President Trump by bringing more of this to the light of the day when we're under control in control. I have a feeling that that sentiment in the Senate will outweigh the Lindsey Graham, this thing needs to just be dismissed out of hand sentiment. And therefore, I think a trial will go forward, but I could be proven wrong. Anybody else? Bob, to your your point, I would jump in and just say, I'm watching what's happening with the Center for Medical Progress right now. David Daleiden, Sandra Merritt, remember those videos from against Planned Parenthood. And I remember David Daleiden, all the charges that Kamala Harris, who's now a senator, trumped up against him while she was attorney general of the state of California. And he said, you know, people were praying that they wouldn't go to trial, whatever. He said, no, I want this to go to trial because you watch what happens when these people are under oath, when they've been subpoenaed, when the Planned Parenthood reps and the National Abortion Federation have to give their testimony, they will confirm everything that my videos did. And you'll notice that this is the quietest court trial that's been going on right now for the past month that you've ever heard or not heard of the case may be because everything that they are, were accused of doing in the videos is coming out under oath as yes, yeah, this is what we did. It could if they play their cards right in the Senate. This could be an actual benefit for them in 2020. So true. Well, uh, here's another podcast behind us. And let me just say uh, on behalf of everybody, because I know I, I speak for everybody when I say this, nothing changes the fact that Jesus Christ is still Lord. God is still on his throne. God true. is in control yeah. of this. And mm-hmm. we just need to continue to pray for this president and pray for this country. And remember that our hope and trust and faith is not in the political process being fair, uh, but that it's in the... Uh, the lordship of Jesus Christ. We know that, but that doesn't mean that we don't have opinions and that we don't fight on behalf of truth and justice in the American way, my Superman moment. Uh, All right, uh, folks, it is another National Crawford Roundtable podcast, uh, and we appreciate you folks joining us. Don't forget you can download and subscribe to the National Crawford Roundtable podcast available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. You can also find it online at crawfordbroadcasting.com. And John Rush, Rush to Reason out of Denver. Uh, Roger Marsh, The Bottom Line out of Southern California. Neil Boron, Neil Boron Live, Buffalo, New York. Myself, Bob Duco, Bob Duco Show out of Detroit. Gentlemen, it's always great catching up with you. Thanks so much. Looking forward to next week. All right. Thank you, Bob. Sounds great. You bet. This has been the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, a biblical view of culture, current events, and politics. Thank you for joining us. Download and subscribe to the podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. National Crawford Roundtable Podcast returns with a new discussion each week. 
Be sure to watch for the notification on your podcast app. This has been a Crawford Broadcasting Company production.